Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Dadon Tolbert Show. I am your host, Dadon Tolbert. Uh, tonight's going to be a um, well. This is keeping it real Fridays, all right. And um, many of you over the years have have tuned in and known us, you know, known keeping it real Fridays to be a number of things. You know, we've talked about dating, we've talked about relationships, we've talked. I mean, we've talked about pretty much everything under the sun. We're going to go in a little bit of a different direction tonight, uh, as far as keeping it real Fridays in the sense of uh, topic matter, but. No, you know it'll be no shortage of uh, of realness. I can I can promise you that. Uh, we have a special guest here with us tonight. Uh, Doctor Umar Johnson is uh, is here, and uh, we're going to be talking to him about a number of different things. We're going to talk about uh, education. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about religion. We're going to talk about Black Lives Matter, police brutality, pretty much the whole uh, that whole thing. I mean, there's a there's a lot that uh, he's into. He has a, uh, you know, a school that he's developing, and so we're going to, you know, just kind of, kind of get to know him. I mean, you know, many of you have, um, you know, followed his career, followed everything that he has going on uh, for the last several years. Um, but he's he's new to this show. He's uh, new to much of this audience, and so we're going to uh, chat with him in a little bit. Um, before we get into that, though, um, I want to direct everybody to our most recent live show, which was, I called it like, it was Ask Data on the Vice Hour, but it was a preview of a lot of the topics that we're going to be discussing tonight. Um, and um, just, a, it, just a really classic show, um, really laid back show. I mentioned to you guys we're going to be going in a little bit of a different direction in 2000, the second part of 2016, just as far as um, not so much how we started out, but just, you know, in the sense of, you know, we had a lot of celebrities on. We had a lot of entertainers on. And as I mentioned, now we're not, you know, it's not about the celebrities. It's not about the ratings. But it's more so now about, you know, forming partnerships, building alliances with people who are are on board with our agenda, with, with our, you know, hear everything that we represent here on this show and people who, who have followed this show. And that's, you know, cultivating positive relationships, building, um, you know, godly uh, unions, you know, marriages, um, you know, and all of that stuff. So I'm excited about um, just what what God is doing in on this show and, and, and in my life, and hopefully you guys are, uh, you know, excited to uh, be a part of that. While we, um, like I said, we're going to be, in a, in a little bit, we're going to be joined by Dr. Johnson, but there's some, you know, we can, I really wanted to start tonight off with just a few uh, what's going on in the world topics, you know, just some things that I wanted to, you know, touch on tonight. We have... Um, you know, everyone's talking about right now this this whole Prince overdose thing, right? You know, everyone is, um, you know, still feeling the emotional response behind, um, you know, the death of, of an icon. And, you know, everyone's talking about, you know, remembering him musically. Everyone is talking about what he contributed to the entertainment industry, what they, you know, what what he represented in their life, what what time, you know, he takes hearing his music, what time in their lives, you know, th th that takes people to. But one of the things when we did our special, uh, what, a few weeks ago, when it, really that, that week that he passed, we, we you know, I stressed the importance of, of understanding who Prince was as far as, um, you know, what he represented, you know, and I'm not, and I'm not even talking about musically. I'm talking about what he represented spiritually, what he represented um, from a knowledge standpoint, from a um, fighting the oppression standpoint, 
um, you know, and just, just, you know what I mean? Like fighting the, the standard, fighting the, what we, how we look at the entertainment industry as a whole. He, you know, fought against that. He was not one to conform. He was not, okay, I'm going to sell my soul and allow you to control me and you take all my money and, you know, put me out there. He was that guy that said, you know what, I'm going to hold on to my, my music. I'm not going to, you know, act a buffoon. I'm not going to do all types of uh, crap. Although, you know, he did some things, but he, you know, he fought it for, a, a you know, a large period of time. And, and even in a similar way, that Michael Jackson fought that the establishment uh, towards the second part of, uh, you know, his life. And so I just wanted to, you know, focus on that for a little bit and just, you know, talk about because the media guys, and, you know, I don't want to, you know, beat a dead horse or reopen old wounds, but just this whole report of uh, the opioids being found in his system, and, you know, they're saying it was an, you know, an accidental overdose. I mean, it's just... You know, I, I want people to just look at it from the larger picture. Look at how this thing works, all right? Look at how, how you know, we as people have been controlled to a certain extent, to a large extent, by the mainstream media. It's like, okay, they, you know, CNN says one thing, uh, that's what it is. ABC says something, NBC says something else, that's what it is. And, um, you know, Michael Jackson overdosed on, you know, whatever, you know, and, and so that's what it is. Prince, you know, had an accidental overdose of opioids. So, But, you know, and I just, and I'm not even saying that's not what happened. I'm saying, look at how this thing works. When you fight a system, whether you're, you know, Martin Luther King, Abraham Lincoln, Malcolm X, you know, the list could go on and on. I mean, you know, bad things happen. So, you know, uh, just, you know, keep those things in mind. And um, as we continue to remember Prince, you know, some of you are mourning Prince and, um, you know, those types of things. And, um, you know, just keep that in mind, man. We have a lot of uh, media propaganda out there. One of the things we're going to talk tonight about with uh, with Dr. Johnson is this whole, you know, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, this whole you know fiasco, and um, just I, I'm I'm curious to see his views. You know, a lot of us have you know followed him and, and heard what he, his thoughts on, you know, um, government and, and different things from a you know um, just an activist standpoint. But I think it'll be interesting to see. Well, you know. Who do you support? You know what? What do you support? In fact, man. Matter of fact, because we we got a little bit of time. Like I said, we got all night. You know, I, I, we're gonna go win. This ain't gonna be no, you know, five minute interview. We're really gonna get into it, man. In fact, the phone lines are open. You know what I'm saying? We're just, this is listen. This is keeping it real Friday, so we're gonna keep it real tonight. I want to hear from y'all. You know, I'll open up the phone line six four six two zero 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 three six six. What kind of questions? Because I got, you know, I got questions. Right, I got questions, so I want. But you know, at the same time, I you know I like to keep it real. I like to. This is the people show. This is your show, so I want to hear what you guys want to talk about. Six four six two zero 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 three six six. If you have a question or comment or anything, add. Uh, I mean, you know, hit the number one on your keypad, and we can. Um, you know, I want to hear what you guys would like to hear me discuss with them. All right. What else is going on in the world, though, man? We had a really great, like I said, Wednesday night, man. We had a really great show um, just talking about so many different things. We talked about the gorilla, you know what I mean? People are still talking about this gorilla, um, you know, and uh, I said a lot on, on that show, but I don't have too much more to say about that, but people are still talking about it. I mean, like I said to you guys on Wednesday night, I feel like, 
You know, I mean, Philly, you know, people are getting killed every day. Chicago, people are getting killed every day. You know, Ohio, I mean, you know, New York. I mean, it doesn't, you go any major city, any city really, people are getting killed every day. And it's, I mean, it's, you know, and then we talk about media propaganda. You know, the things that people focus on, the things that they focus on as being top priority, as being newsworthy. I mean, you know, a gorilla was killed to save a child, and that's national news, but literally someone was killed in, in my neighborhood yesterday, and that barely even made the local news, let alone the the national news and so i just you know like i said as we talk to dr johnson a little bit later as we um you know just continue to um you know move forward just keep these things on your mind you know what i mean don't allow the media to 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 form your thoughts don't allow society to influence what you are passionate about you know what i mean cnn should not determine you know, what pisses you off, what makes you angry. You know, people are saying, oh, my gosh, you know, Prince died of an overdose. I can't believe it. Like, you just, there's so many people, you know, who don't even, who aren't even questioning that. It's just, oh, okay, that's what it was. Okay, a gorilla, you know, was, was killed. That's, media says that's bad, so that must be bad. Donald Trump is bad, so he must be bad. You know, Hillary Clinton is good. You know, Bernie Sanders is, is cool. You know, not relying on their own spiritual conviction, their own, you know, political beliefs, or even, you know, anything internally. It's just, you know, how how they feel. I was looking at the news uh, earlier today, actually, and uh, uh, the supermarket, one of the supermarkets where I shop, was robbed, you know, at gunpoint. You know, one of the things that Dr. Johnson talks a lot about is, is um you know the importance of us of, of of us embracing our blackness and you know not allowing the system or allowing the government to you know keep us oppressed you know but my question is one of my questions is how do we stop ourselves from being oppressed by each other you know what i mean i mean literally where i shop you know my wife could have said hey look go grab some uh you know, some diapers, go, you know, William needs some, some milk, go grab some milk. I go to the store, I walk in, like, whoa, what the heck is somebody sticking up the, and this is in a white neighborhood, not, not, you know what I'm saying, not that that matters, but, but it matters. I mean, this is keeping it real Friday. This, you see what I'm saying? I mean, and that's not common in those areas. And from what I understand, it was one of us. It was, you know, someone who looked like us. And I'm, all, you know, all I'm saying, one of the things I want to talk to him a little bit later on is about is, uh, you know, the role of parents, you know, the role of parents in today's society. You know, what are we, what are we doing really well? You know, what are we struggling with? What, what things are we not bringing to the table to properly prepare our kids to not be robbing a Acme at midnight, not be right now out on the streets wandering around aimlessly, you know, not, you know, sticking someone up, killing someone, raping, um, you know, credit card fraud, you know, all this stuff. These are things that we have to do a better job as mentors, as educators, activists, you know, just, just responsible people, you know, to, uh, to pro- properly prepare the next generation for 
You feel what I'm saying? I mean, it, it's it's really getting crazy. You know, it's really getting crazy out here. I look at I look at the news. I look at my my uh, Facebook timeline. You know, people are saying, "Wow, you know, I I just got these three hundred dollar, you know, four hundred dollar Beyonce tickets. She's coming to, you know, my city. I'm excited." I said, "Okay, well, you're a, you're you're a mother, right?" You know, I mean, and again, I'm not. You know, like I said, I'm not judging. You know, I'm not judging at all. But if you look at a lot of, you know, kids, you know, I was I was on Facebook earlier and someone asked the question of if kids are underperforming in school, if if children are, you know, not doing well, if they're if they're acting bad, if they are, you know, um, you know, acting a fool basically, or or not doing, you know, keeping up with their studies or anything negative, is that a a representation of of the of the child of the, excuse me of the parents? I say absolutely. You know, I say absolutely. I say it's absolutely a representation of the parents. I say that uh, you know, and, and that's you know, and it's crazy because in today's society, that's considered controversial. That's considered you know, that's what Bill Cosby's in trouble for. You know, that's why a lot of people, I mean, that's the real reason a lot of people want to see Bill Cosby go to jail. You know what I'm saying? Is because uh, is because of the truth he spoke. A lot of people won't admit this, but once you are, are in the public spotlight, you know, it's kind of like Stacey Dash. You know, she can't come back to the hood. You know what I'm saying? Bill Cosby can't, you know, rebound to be, go back to being uh, Cliff Huxtable. You know, because once you start saying certain things, that are contrary to what the mainstream media has conditioned us to believe, you know, you get shut off. I mean, that's that's the reason why a lot of people tonight are just are are just tuning in specifically to hear Dr. Johnson in a different way than they've ever heard him before. I mean, let's keep it real, you know. But when you start speaking the truth, when you start making people uncomfortable, you know, then that's when. It's like okay, you, you, I'm gonna put you over here. I'm gonna put you into into this category. But uh, you know, it is what it is, man. Like I said, keeping it real. Fridays here on the Data on Tolbert show. Like I said, I, I'm just informed. I'm looking at my at my text messages, and we keep, you know, we keep it real. We keep it honest. This is not one of those Hollywood shows. Like I'm a, I'm gonna keep it, uh, you know, real with y'all 100. percent Doctor Johnson is actually running a little bit late. I'm, I'm informed he's finishing up a book signing. So. You know, you know how it goes. I mean, we got all night, so I don't know if y'all was trying to get in and get out, but we're gonna we're gonna relax a little bit. We're gonna talk a little bit, and uh, when when he's you know when he calls in, he calls in. That's just you know what I'm saying. That's that's what it is. You know, shout out to Kiani. I know she's <laughs> shout out to my girl Kiani, man. I know she's excited. I know she's uh waiting with bated breath. She's you know to hear uh, hear hear Doctor Johnson speak. <laughs> I see her on the line here, but um, yeah, man. What else can we talk about, real? Quick? You know, while we're waiting on Dr. Johnson, man. I tur- I went on the um social media. I went on the social media the other day, actually yesterday, and I saw. You know, we got we just had Mother's Day pass. We do an annual Mo- uh, Mother's Day special every year, and so obviously a couple weeks following is uh is Father's Day, and so I'm on social media and I see mahogany. You know the the black card maker, you know what I mean? They always got the the cards that cater to African Americans 
And what I saw was a card, and I posted it on my, my Facebook. I saw a card that, that said something to the effect of, you know, for mothers on Father's Day. And, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you know, and I, I just politely asked, can we stop this foolishness? <laughs> can we stop it? And, you know, and listen, listen, listen. You know, we this is one of those shows over the last 10 years where we spent a lot of time talking about, um, you know, the importance of uh, respecting yourself. We've talked about, I mean, we've talked about it all, you know, uh, you know, how to go from being a, six, a single mother to being a successful wife. You know what I'm saying? We talk about how to find love, how to rebound from a, a broken heart. I mean, you know, so many different things that we've discussed uh, from that perspective over the years. And so I you know, I do that because I, I can be tough on, on the ladies, especially single moms, but what I will say about that is I have the utmost respect and almost even admiration for great single moms, okay? I feel like, you know, there are some women out there that are, you know, doing an excellent job, okay, doing a phenomenal job at raising their children, and that's one of the things I want to talk to Dr. Johnson about is just the the mothers because I, I feel like they don't get their I'm, you know they don't get their their fair due their their fair shake they're not getting the credit they deserve in many cases, but at this you know and so I want to recognize the great single mothers but who I don't want to recognize is the mothers who have this you know this kind of sense of empowerment or excuse me entitlement that says you know I'm doing this. I'm going to take the role of the father. I'm going to celebrate myself and other women like me on Father's Day when that's just not how it should be. You understand that? Those types of cards should not be in existence. We have to get to a point where we celebrate how things are supposed to be, all right, and celebrate, you know, black fathers. You know, there's a time for mothers. And so, you know, let's, let's not support those cards. And I'm not into the boycotting. I'm not into that, but I'm just letting y'all know how it should be. There are, you know, plenty of great fathers out there, guys, who do a great job. I know fathers who who want to be great fathers who are being put through the ringer by their, their you know, their children's mom. You know, and, and they they're, you know, they're being used. They're having the kids used as pawns. All right, guys. So those those are just a few things that um, I want to talk to Dr. Johnson about, and I want you guys to just keep on your minds, you know, tonight and, you know, and, and at all times. So um, so we're going to go to the line. Like I said, man, we have a special guest here tonight. This is Keeping It Real Fridays here on the Data on Tolbert Show. Um, we have doc, Dr. Johnson here, um, Dr. Umar Johnson, and, and, you know, like I told you guys, we keep it real. We're going to take some calls a little bit later, 646-200-0366. Hit the number one on your keypad. If you have any comments, questions, anything to add to uh, the discussion, I see the phone lines are already lit up. So looks like some people are excited to, uh, you know, to get into a, a good uh, conversation. Let's get into it, guys. I'm just gonna go ahead and, and bring them onto the line so we can get this thing going. We've got some time tonight, so we don't have to be rushed. We can take our time a little bit. I understand he uh, he has some time to he set aside to be with us this evening, but um. I'll do a little introduction, and I'll let him introduce himself, guys. Um, Dr. Umar Johnson is a therapist. He is an activist. He is a philanthropist, an educator, a self-motivator, and uh, from what I understand, many other things, which I'll let him uh, you know, tell you about. 
But uh, like I said, man, at, the, at this time, I'll go ahead and welcome Dr. Umar Johnson onto the Data on Talbert Show. Dr. Johnson, are you with us? Uh, yes, sir. Can you hear me there, brother? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I hear you perfectly fine. Thank you so much for taking the time. I understand you just finished up a, a book signing. Yes, sir. I'm down here in Savannah, Georgia, where I had my debut lecture last night. It was sold out, a lot of love, and we just had a meet and greet Q&A session with the community, which I try to do, especially when it's my first time visiting the city, because as you know, there's so much out there in terms of social media about who public personalities are that I like to give the people an opportunity to learn about who I am firsthand for themselves. So it was a real great treat. And now I'm getting ready to head on out to Pittsburgh tomorrow for Sunday afternoon's lecture. All right. That's actually my old stomping grounds, Pittsburgh. I went to IUP, so I'm very familiar with that whole area. Now, Dr. Johnson, go ahead if you could, man. Like I said, I gave you a little bit of an introduction, but just in your own words for a lot of people know you, a lot of people are tuned in because they want to, you know, hear you and and have followed you. But uh, if you could, just go ahead and introduce yourself in your own words. Who are you and just what what do you do? What are you passionate about for those who may not be familiar? Uh, Yes, sir. I'm a doctor of clinical psychology, certified school psychologist, certified school principal, uh, kinsman, blood relative to the great Frederick Douglass, former Minister of Education for Marcus Garvey's Universal Negro Improvement Association and African Communities League, author of the book, Psychoacademic Holocaust, The Special Education and ADHD Wars Against Black Boys. I'm the most requested black scholar on the planet uh, for about five years now. That includes America and all six continents. Europe is not a continent, so there's only six. Um, I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a nephew, I'm an uncle, uh, and I'm just somebody out here trying to do the best that I can to save our children as a strategy of saving our people. All right, man. That's you know, and I've followed you myself for uh for the last few years and you know, I'll be you know, I'll keep it real with you. A lot of things I agree with, some things I don't agree with. I like to have a conversation tonight just to kinda of talk about some of those uh things, but at the end of the day, man, we're all here trying to make a difference for our people. Right? Yes, sir. So so let me ask you this. Now, you've been referred to as the, and I don't know if this was, you know, your self-title or you know, how people have referred to you, but the Prince of Pan-Africanism. What what does that title mean to you? Uh, it means exactly what it says, Prince of Pan-Africanism. Marcus Garvey is the king, so out of humility, I can only be the prince. Uh, that title comes from other people as well as myself who consider me to be the foremost Pan-Africanist in the world right now which I am, obviously, because I've been blessed enough to be in a position to travel the world and spread the good gospel of Garveyism and revolutionary pan-African nationalism. So if there's someone doing, doing more to raise the consciousness of our people regarding pan-Africanism, I would like to know their name. Absolutely, and I'll just tell you, man, a lot of people know this, some may not. I'm actually named after Marcus Garvey. My name is Marcus Dadon Tolbert, and I'm named after Marcus oh. Garvey and Dadon Kimothy. Yeah, man. So I feel you on that, man. Definitely the king of, uh, of uh, you know, one of the our kings and one of our greatest leaders uh, ever. So definitely someone who who I've followed my whole life. My my, you know, one of my namesakes. Um, I got it. Let's just jump into it. Like I said, this is keeping it real Friday. So before we even go any further, there's some people listening, and we're gonna take some calls. I'm on social media. We have some questions being sent in from different uh, uh, arenas, and um, I like to you know some people have some questions about. You mentioned you're a doctor and where you've studied. Can you just, in your own words, let people know, like, what are you a doctor of? Maybe a little bit of background 
of your uh, education, your educational background, if you would? Yes, I'm going to preface this, and I'm going to answer the question only because it's my first time on your show, but it's a topic that I don't deal with anymore because it's been answered a million times over. I also take issue with the question because I'm the only scholar in the conscious community in my age group with a real doctorate degree. Uh, there's many people who are called doctors who have never been scrutinized, never been questioned, or never been investigated. So I say all that to say that this whole thing about whether or not I have a real doctor degree has nothing to do with the truth. In fact, I'm not even going to answer the question. Uh, people can call the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine Registrar's Office. I repeat, Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine Registrar's Office, and they can ask them if I have a doctorate. Maybe if they hear it from white people, they might believe it. So we can move to the next question. Amen. I, I feel you. I appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? I appreciate the candidness. I, you know, that's we can keep it moving, man. Like I'm not. And I'll tell. You, let me just tell you this because I don't even want to dwell on that. You know, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. A lot of questions, but like I, people focus on things to me that are so insignificant. You know, it's like if you have someone has a problem with you. You know, and what you're saying, the message you're, you're you're putting forth. Then let's talk about that. But you know, the, all the petty stuff and the the rumors. Well, it's I'm not, like, it's me jealousy. It's not, it's all, I'm not into that. It's all jealousy, so. and it's envy. That's all it is. Conscious right. niggas are just as jealous as regular niggas. It's no different. Uh, you know, all they did was read a couple books, and they still the same Negroes they was on the street corner. They just got a little bit of education now. It hasn't changed. In fact. I deal with more jealousy and envy in the conscious community than I have ever dealt with in the general community. So this is just jealousy. If I wasn't who I was, if I wasn't the most requested scholar in the world, if I wasn't the most popular voice on the circuit, they wouldn't care where I got my doctorate from. It would be irrelevant. It only matters because they wish that they were in my spot. So I'll tell them like I tell you, if you want the top spot, come and get it. Okay, if you want the throne, come and take it. But I got the throne because I do work. I don't just run around lecturing, making money, producing documentaries to get paid off of. I do work in the streets. I save children. I help people. I keep people out of prison. I'm in the prison. So when you look at my track record of helping Africans, not giving speeches, not making documentaries, not traveling all around, but actually helping black people, there's no name that you're going to call in the conscious community above mine, and that includes elders when you talk about saving black children. No name goes above mine. No name. All right, man. Well, speaking of education, you know, because this is what I want to talk about, education. And I, honestly, let me just say to you, man to man, I, I know of a lot of really positive things that you're doing. In fact, one of the things I wanted to talk about was uh, you, you're funding a school. You know what I mean? You have a school that's that's in production. It's it's in development. I want to, and I don't even want to say too much. I want you to tell us, like, where do we stand with the school? Where do you stand with the school? What you know what I'm saying? And tell us about it because I think that's great. Well, the Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey Academy. I stand with the school, the same place I've always stood with the school. Uh, we've been raising, attempting to raise and have been raising $2 million to acquire is a HBCU that's been closed for three years. I would like to make it the first of many homes for the Fred Douglas Marcus Garvey Academy. They still want $2 million. Uh, we'll be passing $700,000 raised uh, really soon. Hopefully we'll hit a million by the end of the summer. But I'm not only looking at St. Paul's anymore. That's my first choice, but it's not my only option. I'm looking at schools all around the country. 
and even around the world for that matter, because there's a possibility of putting the school in Africa also. Um, so right now I'm just being patient, letting the money come in, people continue to donate. And once I find something that I think is feasible enough for the first location, we will start there. I might have to crawl before I can walk, which is to say that I might have to start the regular school before I evolve into a residential academy. So if that's the way it's going to be, that's the way it's got to be. But once again, just like with my doctorate, uh, there's been a lot of attacks on the fundraising money. People want to know where the money is, which is an absolutely ridiculous question. The money is in the bank called Frederick Bellas Marcus Garvey Academy. And if any Negro is stupid enough to think that the FBI, who I'm sure is watching me, the CIA, who I'm sure is watching me, as well as a lot of hating-ass white folks in the banking industry, who I'm sure is watching me, if I was putting checks that are written to FDMG Academy in the bank for Umar Johnson, I'm quite sure I would have been arrested by now. In fact, there's a real simple way to find out if I stole any money, and that is to see whether or not there's been any withdrawals from the account. If I'm stealing money, that means I'm withdrawing from the account. Well, guess what? Since the account has been established, it hasn't been a single withdrawal from the fundraising account. So then someone may say, well, how do you pay travel and visit these schools? How do you pay the lawyers to bid on these properties? How do you pay for the inspections? I pay out of my pocket because I'm not a hustler. So when I make money at lectures from my book sales, I take that money and I use it to cover the exploratory expenses for FDMG. So if I got to fly to Houston to look at a school, which I have, I do it out of my own pocket. If I got to fly to uh, Charlotte, if I got to fly to South Carolina, if I got to drive to Virginia or drive to New York to look at a school, I do it out of my own pocket. I do not touch the fundraiser money at all because that is for the purchase of the school. People donate that money so we can buy the school. They don't donate that money so I can use it for exploratory expenses, although I'm sure they would not mind. But, again, no money has ever been withdrawn from the account. So that's not, a, uh, to me, is real futile to even talk about whether he's spending the money on himself. I haven't spent any of the money at all. Amen. I agree with you. Don't even, don't even address. I wouldn't even address that. To me, you see, I'm not even... Well, it's all over Facebook. You know, he's stealing the money. Uh, a couple of haters. Uh, some of them, I'm gonna smack the shit out of them when I see them. Straight up, I'm just gonna be real <laughs> with you about hey, who I'm even... ass with. I mean, some hate come with the territory. So, you know, somebody dropped a hate post there, hate post there. You know, jealous people are gonna be jealous. So. Some of that you got to tolerate being in the public eye. I'm not immature about it, so you got to give people room to criticize, even if it has a hate, a hate motive. But then you got other people who've done overdrive, and um, there's a couple of people who are whose hate is in overdrive. It, and so when I see yeah, them man. brothers, I'm just gonna have to give out an ass whipping. Ain't, ain't nothing else left to do in those cases. Nah, but no, you know, most of the people say, I take it in stride. It ain't no big deal. Yeah, say no more about that, man. We're going to keep it moving, keep it positive, man. Like I said, haters, you know, I know all about the haters. You're doing some good things, you know, and with that, as you know, it's going to come haters. So we don't even got to talk about that. In fact, one of the things I want to talk about, you now you talk about the uh, the ADHD hoax and the uh, you talk a lot about special education, which I want to hear you elaborate a little bit more. What, for people who may not be familiar, one, with ADHD, and what is the hoax that's being, you know, surrounding that right now? Well, ADHD is a weapon of mass destruction against black children and general boys in particular, as well as special ed. They are the twin towers of miseducation. ADHD is a disorder that the American Psychiatric Association wrote out to the world in 1980, ADD, as attention deficit 
disorder. In nineteen in nineteen eighty seven it went from ADD to ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and they have used this disorder to mass drug an entire generation of black boys with a so called disease that cannot even be proven to exist. There is no objective measure used to evaluate children who allegedly have this ADHD. And the interesting thing about it is we get ADP in 1980. That's the same year that the CIA began its mass drugging campaign against uh, the black community. And so you have black boys being drugged up in 1980 at the same time as the black community itself, which is so, uh, I don't want to say, it is so, what do you want to say, uh, in your face in terms of what they're doing because the campaign to drug the children began at the same time as the campaign to drug the adults. So what your listeners need to understand, in particular your parents, is that you have a right to refuse the evaluation, and you should refuse it. ADHD is a hoax and a con game. Uh, it's all about money. About $30 billion a year is made off of prescribing these ADHD medicines. And what ADHD really means is ain't no daddy at home disorder absent dad from the house disorder. And I call it that because 1980, with it being the year that the mass uh, cocaine drugging of the place, it also began, it also became concomitantly the decade when black men began to also be mass incarcerated for nonviolent drug-related offenses. So leaving these boys at home to be raised by mothers without the father's presence, that created a vacuum for somebody to get paid off. And as you know, in a capitalist society based on greed and racism, they're always looking for new markets to exploit. So you have a whole market of black boys without fathers that are waiting to be exploited. How do you exploit this fatherless black boy market? Well, let's come up with a disorder uh, of not being able to sit still, a disorder of not being able to uh, control yourself. In other words, we're going to make a lack of discipline a disability. Let me say that again. We're going to make a lack of discipline a disability. When the father is not in the house, as you know, boys tend to get a little lax. We get a little undisciplined. We can get a little unruly because it is the father's job to teach discipline, structure, self-control, accountability. It's the mother's job to love and to nurture and to support. So when the father is not there, the discipline begins to lit, to, to uh Lag. And as you know, 75% of black children are raised in single-parent female-headed homes. So this has nothing to do with psychiatry. It's a war against the black family that puts the father, the father in jail and puts his son on the same exact drug that his father got arrested for selling. Right. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's crazy out here. It's, you know, I I agree with you 100%. Our, in fact, our, our kids, our children are at are under attack. You know, the black family is under attack. And one of the things I wanted to, in fact, a few things I want to talk uh, to you about is uh, uh, police, uh, gang violence, government. Uh, you know, we, you just touched on parenting. In fact, one of the things, uh, an ongoing series that I've done over the last, been on there for about 10 years, and uh, one of our, our ongoing series is, is, is Saving Our Children, where we've discussed, you know, Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown, Tamir Rice, Sandra. I mean, you know, we've, ever, you know, you name it, we've discussed it. And I want to kind of pick your brain on 
you know, how can we as educators, as mentors, activists, philanthropists, you know, do a better job to help our youth avoid the, these hoax, the ADHD hoax, the, um, you know, potentially volatile confrontations with police, uh, you know, gangs? What, what, are, what can we as parents do? Well, unfortunately, and I hate to say this, but I'm a realist. And in the philosophy of Pan-Africanism, we believe in dealing with our political reality as it is. The truth of the matter is, is I believe that the black community has allowed white police to get so out of hand and negligent and reckless with their treatment of our people that it's going to take an all-out war to stop the abuse and the police terrorism of the black community. Yes, it's true. We probably cannot win a war against the police since they are uh, financed, trained, and equipped by one of the most sophisticated armies on the face of the earth. But I want to be clear. We're not fighting the war because we expect to win it. Sometimes you fight to get your respect back. Sometimes you fight to let your enemy know that even though I cannot beat you, I'm no longer going to tolerate your abuse, and you might kill me, but it's going to take a lot out of you to kill me, and you're going to have to almost be willing to die yourself. So although you will win in the end, you need to think about whether or not it's worth it. Is it worth the pay that you're going to have to exhaust, the effort and pain that you're going to have to kick out to to destroy me or to defeat me? And that's what we're, that's where we're headed. The police are out of control, and the black community is already under martial law. The police don't listen to the president. The police don't listen to the mayors. The police don't even listen to the chief. They do what they want. It is total anarchy as it relates to the police and the black community. And I really believe, based on the student of history, and I don't like to be reckless with my tongue when I discuss violence, but if I'm to be honest with you on this interview, I have to say that the only thing that is going to stop the current wave of police terrorism, abuse, and extermination against black folks is black men are going to have to arm up toe-to-toe and go to war with hundreds of us are going to have to die. Dozens of them are going to have to die in order for the government to step in, in order for the United Nations to step in and say, okay, enough is enough. America, you must deal with your ugly, racist police problem, which means some of us are going to have to sacrifice our lives in order to save millions of unborn black children. Now, let me ask you this, though. Now, a couple, a couple of things. Um, on one hand, I mean, I agree with you, too, on, on that the police are out of control, absolutely, and police absolutely do what they want. But at the same time, you know, this this goes much higher than the police. This is an agenda in play. You know, it's, it's the billionaires that are calling the shots, that they are laying the foundation for what the police end up doing. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that, but the police still has a mind of its own. When you understand terrorism, once the terrorist cell is created, it operates independently. Is given its financing, is given its marching orders, and then it operates independently. If you study terrorist cells in the developing world, you will find that the cells don't actually answer directly to the person who created it. They answer to the agenda of the cell. So although your point is well taken, and I totally agree with it, and I do speak on that, the bottom line is your direct point of confrontation is not with the billionaire. It is not Donald Trump killing your children. It is not Hillary Clinton killing your children. It is not Bernie Sanders killing your children. It is not the Rockefellers killing your children. It is the police that are killing your children. You never do combat with the person giving the orders. The general is never on the battlefield often. 
he actually directs from a place of safety. So you'll never get to them anyway. When you fight a war, you have to be concerned with the battle plan of your opponent on the field, and that is the police, and there is no way around it. If we want to stop so this shit, we're going to have to fight. So that's what I'm saying. If, if, so if, that's the, if the strings are being pulled by the billionaires, how is fighting the, missed, the battle? That's my point. Once the cell is created, the cell operates independently. The police don't have to take any more orders. They've already been given their orders. You don't but fight that's what I'm saying. How do we win the war? That's winning the battle. That's if you, if you remember, you cannot win the war. I just said that. So I need you to listen to what I'll be saying. Number one, cells operate independently. Number two, you will not win a war against the police or the power structure that finances it. But you must go to war and win the battle in order for them to think twice about what they're doing. In other words, you must put them in a position where they themselves have to be dealing with loss of life. They themselves have to deal with loss of power. They themselves have to deal with loss of wealth so they may leave you alone. Let's go back to the third grade playground analogy. You keep being bullied by this kid. You cannot beat that kid. But guess what? If you give him a good rumble, that kid will leave you alone because he does not want to exhaust the energy necessary to beat you. You cannot win that war as you are. But you can win a moral victory that forces them to back off because they understand that you are willing to die before you see another child lose their life. Speaking of um, losing life, let's talk about another, a different type of war. Because I agree, we, I mean, this is war. We are, you know, we can talk, we can agree on uh, and disagree on different aspects yeah. of the war, but we are absolutely well, at war. When you war, understand we, war, when you understand it, there's nothing to disagree with. The bottom line is, if I'm call, if I'm paying you, I'm paying you to go out and take people out. But if I can't find nobody to pay because they're too afraid to carry out their war against the people I'm paying them to carry it out against, guess what? It will be no war. Let's take let's take the British crown. When the British sent troops into Zululand, and we'll be visiting South Africa this year on my group trip. If any of your listeners want to go with us to Senegal in South Africa from July 24th to August the 9th, please send me a text message so I can send you the flyer, area code 215-989-9858. Again, 215-989-9858. But anyhow, when the British Crown sent troops into Zululand, the troops refused to fight Shaka's army. Shaka's army was too dangerous. They invented and perfected guerrilla warfare. So they said, we will not fight him. They waited until Shaka Zulu was assassinated by his two hating-ass half-brothers, and then they finally were able to overtake Zululand. So here's a perfect example of the powers that be giving out a marching order that the soldiers are not willing to carry out because it puts them at significant risk for defeat and loss of life. Remember, the soldiers do not have millions of dollars. The soldiers do not make the type of money that the power structure has. So the soldiers are going to think twice about their marching orders because they're not making millions of dollars a day. So we have even seen it in black history. And the Shaka Zulu uh, situation is only one example of where the power structure or the billionaires, as you say, gave out orders that were disobeyed by the soldiers because they were not willing to face the threat. We're going to have to go toe-to-toe with the police to slow this shit down, period, point blank, end of story. Let me ask you this about going toe-to-toe. What about us, you know, 
so many of us killing each other. What are what do you one? What do you attribute that to? And what are some things that we can do to, you know, to slow that down? The killing of each other. Black on black fratricide in Canada. Black on black fratricide in Europe. Black on black fratricide in America. And black on black fratricide in South Africa. All have two things in common. Number one, in those four European realities, the black male is the leading cause of death for himself. Number two, in all four of those European realities, the black male suffers from psychological castration, social castration, economic castration. The first thing that is necessary for a man to feel like a man is he must have the ability to exert power over his reality. The definition of manhood implies power, control over my reality. A a man's basic responsibility is to provide and protect for his family. Now, protecting your family, that ain't too difficult. Providing for your family can be difficult, especially when you've been educationally castrated, prevented from learning a decent trade or livable wage type of a job or livable wage type of a skill so that you can then earn a decent living. And then you have to deal with economic castration, the fact that half the black men in Detroit are unemployed, half the black men in Philadelphia are unemployed, half the black men in Chicago, L.A., Houston, wherever you go, half the black men in America are unemployed. You cannot separate that from the violence. That makes psychological violence precedes physical violence. Psychological violence always precedes physical violence, which is to say that a man is first at war with himself before he ever goes to war with you. And there is no more oppressing thing in the world than to not be able to provide for yourself, your woman, or your children. That causes self-esteem issues. That causes self-concept issues. That causes depressive issues. That causes all types of issues. So you got miseducation, economic castration, and then you got self-hate from legacies of slavery and colonialism. So if you want to eliminate black-on-black fratricide, you must address miseducation, which I do. You must address economic castration, which I'm about to do with the ex-offenders program. And then you must address post-traumatic slavery disorder, which I deal with every day as a psychologist. So remember, the mother of all violence is miseducation, and the father of all violence is economic castration. Eighty years ago, who were the criminals in America? The Jews, the Italians, the Irish. They broke the law. They sold crack, dope. They killed each other in the streets. Italians killing Italians. Irish killing Irish. Jews killing Jews. Bugsy Siegel, Meyer Lansky, Al Capone, Lucky Luciano. You know the names. And why did they break the law? Because they didn't have an education and they didn't have an economic occupation. So they broke the law. I don't care if you're black, white, purple, orange, or yellow. Whenever the opportunity to earn a decent living is taken away from you, you will resort to crime to feed your family. And in resorting to crime, you will end up fighting against other people who have had to resort to the same crime to feed their family. So let me just be so, and I agree with a lot of what you said as far as you're right. I mean, absolutely. We, when you cannot. I count mentor kids. I mentor young boys. I counsel young boys as well. I mean, men as well. I know exactly what you do, um, and it's important what you do because I agree with the historical oppression that often plays a role in this. But at the same time, can we agree that 
everyone who is unemployed, everyone who is has been disenfranchised, you know, can't feed or you know their kids will not and does not have to resort to violence or a life of crime to do so. Well, we could also agree that everybody who eats a lot of cholesterol-filled foods will not die from a heart attack. Not every snake is going to bite you. But the human reality is, the human reality is that most people will fall victim to the circumstantial realities under which they live. In fact, there have been studies done to prove this. There was the famous Stanford prison experiment that was had to be discontinued where a white psychologist took people and treated them like criminals, treated them like criminals in a prison. He took other people. These were all volunteers. None of them had a history of incarceration. He took other people, and they were the prison, they were the uh, officers in the jail. So some of the volunteers were inmates. Other volunteers were officers in charge of the inmates. The study had to be discontinued after a couple of days because they found that the officers began to treat the inmates in an inhumane way and that the inmates being treated like animals began to act like animals. And the conclusion of the Stanford prison experiment, which every black person needs to become familiar with, is that you can never separate behavior from the factors in the immediate environment that give rise to it, and you can never separate behavior from the context in which it takes place. Yes, we can agree that everybody will not break the law, but at the same time, if we are going to say that just because everybody doesn't do it, that nobody is going to do it, that's not basing a decision based on reality. Most people, psychologically, as it has been proven through research, will fall victim to their reality. Our job is not to convince people to, to not break the law when they don't have a job. Our job is to fight the system so everybody has an equal opportunity to earn a decent living. I will never blame the victim, okay? I work in prison on a regular basis for free, and I'm always trying to motivate some brothers. But guess what? Which is why I'm going to be hosting the Underground Railroad Movement Conference for ex-offenders. And that question that I always get, whether I'm at a jail or a halfway house, is Dr. Umar, we don't do this because we want to do this. We do this because we have to do this. And I don't want to go back to the street. I don't want to sell no dope. I don't want to steal no more cars. I don't want to hustle no more credit cards. But what opportunity do you have? What job can I get? The truth of the matter is that some of us who have it a little bit more comfortably tend to forget that a lot of our people have no options at all. I have six degrees. I've never been to jail. Take from me my degrees. Put a felony on my record. And Dr. Umar Johnson, as much as I can sit here in my privileged position with my six degrees, I can sit here and say I would never sell dope. I would never steal a car. I would never commit an armed robbery. But you put me in a situation where my life becomes desperate. You put me in a situation where my family becomes destitute. And I will have to consider doing something that I never in my wildest dreams would ever think I would have to do, and that is break the law. I will not blame the criminal. I will blame the society that produces the criminal. Criminals are not born. Criminals are made. It is the society that is criminal, not the people. Gotcha. Yeah, Dr. Johnson, let's talk about entertainment a little bit, man, because um, 
you know, we've, we've spent a little bit of time talking about the government and um, the agenda in in in, in work at work right now. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the the entertainment industry and music. Um, what role do you think that? You know, artists like, you know, Beyonce or Nicki Minaj who routinely dress scantily clad, you know, attire, uh, you know, gyrating or people like Jay-Z or Lil Wayne who glorify drug use and, um, you know, gang violence, things like that. What effect do you think that they do they play on our youth? Okay. First, we got to realize a couple things. Number one. Nobody forces us to listen to the music. Nobody forces us to let our children partake in the music. You have to participate in the criminal justice system because there's no alternative. You have to participate in America's economic reality because there's no alternative. You have to participate in the medical industry because there's no alternative. But there is an alternative to propaganda. You, there's no law that makes you indulge in Western media and propaganda. So we have to look at the role we play in exposing our children or allowing them to be exposed to that type of filth that comes across the airway. However, when rappers say that they're not responsible for violence, they're totally incorrect. It is true. Gangster rap did not create crime. Gangster rap did not create gangs. Gangster rap did not create the black-on-black sexism. But gangster rap popularized crime. Gangster rap popularized black-on-black sexism. Gangster rap, gangster rap, popularized drug selling, popularizing it, you are helping to propagate it. See, we got to realize, art plays a very critical role in any culture. Art is influenced by and in turn influences culture, just like culture is influenced by and influences art. It is a bidirectional relationship. It's like you and your queen. She's going to influence you to an extent, and you're going to influence her because y'all coexist together in the same reality. It's the same thing with the black community and its artists, whether it's dance, music, athletics, whoever, whatever they partake in. So for a rapper to say I'm not responsible for violence, they're totally incorrect. You are not responsible for the creation, but you are responsible for the expansion of it because you glamorize it. You have the ability to impact cultural behavior. The artist is very important when it comes to cultural norm and cultural structure. Without question, the artist can help facilitate transformation of culture. So there's no such thing as an artist not being responsible for his for the impact that his music has. But let me say this. The only reason why Lil Wayne is a role model, only reason why Drake is a role model, only reason why any of these artists are role models, and I don't, single any of them out because I deal with our problems systematically. It's not about individuals. It's about systems. We have a system in place that allows our rappers to create this type of filthy music with no community accountability. So it's the system that I'm trying to change. They're like it's the system that gave rise to Barack Obama. Dealing with Barack Obama as an individual means nothing. There'll be 24 more Barack Obamas. He's just the first one. And the worst, the next ones will be worse than him. So we got to change systems, not individuals. You can switch out the president all you want. But if the institution that the president oversees has an agenda to exterminate black people, it doesn't matter who the president is. Now, with, with, with that being said, we also have a system in the community that leaves black boys in the hood without any viable, responsible role models in black males. Many black men, when they get their education, they move out of the neighborhood. They abandon the hood. That's the problem. Our young men don't have role models they can turn to. If a brother 
had a doctor next, if he had a dentist next door, if he had a business owner next door, even if he had a plumber or an electrician or a carpenter who taught him their trade, who took him with them on different business runs to where that young man could learn the trade. Little Wayne couldn't influence that man. Little Wayne could, could, could not influence him more than me or more than you because he has time with us. A boy needs time. He wants that father figure. He wants that mentor. And if he has that, Little Wayne has no chance against a living, breathing, in-your-face role model. The only reason why Jeezy and Little Wayne are role models is because the black men in the hood abandoned it. And when there's no other role models to find, you find them on the TV and the radio. Yeah, man, you 100, 100% right. Um, I personally grew up with a great father, a great-grandfather, uncle, you know what I mean, just tons of positive role models. And I, I speak on this all the time. Everything you said I 100% agree with. Uh, we need more black role models, positive, heterosexual, strong black men to say, you know, I am your role model. I will accept that. I won't run from that title. I will embrace that that role and show you that you don't have to, Jay, you know, Jay-Z is nobody. Little Wayne is nobody. And you're right. The system has been put in place to elevate these these quote-unquote role models in positions of power and influence, and it, it's systematically destroying uh, the youth, and, and, and only we can, uh, can, can change that. Now, you mentioned President Obama, which uh, a lot of things you said, I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm alone, man. Like, I feel like people have been brainwashed by this guy. I mean, what are your thoughts on Obama as far as uh, what he, the role he specifically has? Because I agree with you. You know, there will be tons of Obamas coming. I absolutely agree. But specifically him, though. You know what role has he played in, or lack thereof, of combating police brutality, of combating gang violence, or you know the agenda at place? President Obama is not responsible for doing anything significant to impact the black reality in the eight years that he's been in office. Absolutely nothing. Any black person who tells you that Obama did stuff for black people is suffering from the illusion of inclusion. In other words, they will look at Obamacare and say he gave us Obamacare. But Obamacare wasn't for black people. It was for all people. And then they will say that Obama has to be president for the United States of America, not just black America. However, Obama did things just for gay people. He passed, he passed three major pieces of federal law legislation just for gay people. Everybody in America is not gay. But Obama did stuff just for the gay people. Everybody in America is not an illegal immigrant, but Obama did stuff just for illegal immigrants. Everybody in America is not Latino, but Obama did stuff just for Latino. Everybody's not a white woman, but Obama did stuff just for white women. It's only when black people ask, when is the president going to do something for us? He has to be president for everybody. But other than that, it's okay for him to be president for gays. It's okay for him to be president for Latinos. It's okay for him to be president for white women. It's okay for him to be president for illegal immigrants. But when it's time for him to be president for black people, he has to be president for everybody. I am not a fan of Obama. I'm not a fan of any Negro facing high place because when you study the rise of the black politician, you will see that it has existed parallel to the demise of the conditions of black people. You will also understand and find out as well that black people are in love with Obama, not because he did anything, but because he got accepted by white people. So you got to understand something. Black people, most of us, 
our our pursuit of happiness is the pursuit of integration. Our pursuit of integration is the pursuit of acceptance by white people. Black people want to be accepted by white people. That's why we move into the neighborhoods. That's why we marry their daughters. That's why we all the, our black scholars teach at white universities, but they're so proud to be black. You see, so we are in love with white folks, and we want to be accepted. And Obama is such a hero to black people, not because he did shit. Obama is a hero because white people made him president. Do you know how important that is for somebody who wants to be accepted by white people? For a black man to be made president of the United States, that is the ultimate acceptance. That is the ultimate approval. So Obama will always be popular for black people because he achieved what black people never thought he could, and that is to be accepted by white people to be their president. Yeah, man, it's very unfortunate, and I'll be quite honest with you, man. I mean, aside from myself, I personally can't think of anyone. Because everything you just said, I say literally seven nights a week here on this particular show, and I don't can't think of another black person that that you know shares those views about Obama. And um, is we've been brainwashed for the exact reason that you uh, many. That's one of many reasons why we've been brainwashed. They're dealing with emotionalism. Nobody gets people. Obama is a religion for all intents and purposes. And just like with a religion, you, people don't want to deal with religion intellectually. You, you know, nobody, you, you don't go to the Muslim and say, hey, you know, I'm just wondering, but um, I heard that, you know, the uh, Quran was uh, passed down by word of mouth for a couple of decades before it was ever written down. You know, is that possible that it could actually have affected the authenticity of the book since it was passed down by word of mouth and given the fact that Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was not a literate man. He had to rely on other people to record the Quran. Is it possible that, you know, they could have uh, manipulated the document and made it say things that it didn't say because there was no way for him to know since he was not a learned man? Uh, now, intellectually, that's plausible. Emotionally, it's not. You can't go to the Christians and say, well, you know, um, these Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that there was... Um, you know, about 200 different manuscripts in that these manuscripts were ultimately blended all into one on a political order that had nothing to do with religion. Is it possible that Mark never said some of the stuff in his gospel? Uh, did you know that there were gospels in the Bible that were taken out? Uh, there was over 200 gospels. Now we only got four. And some of those gospels said that Jesus was born of a human father and not through uh, immaculate conception that he had a wife and children. Is it possible? Intellectually, it's possible because you can review those other Gospels. Emotionally, it's not. And that's the problem with Obama. Black people don't deal with the Obama reality intellectually. They deal with it emotionally. And the reason they deal with it emotionally is for many of them, it would hurt. It would hurt them too much to do a critical analysis of the Obama presidency and find out that everything that they believed in as related to this man was a total force. It's no different than religion. Most people don't want to discuss religion because they don't want to be questioned about it. They don't want their faith challenged. People don't want their well, faith in Obama challenged. Yeah, for many people, it's 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 unfortunate because even I'm talking about even people in the church are afraid to embrace their own spirituality because it would force them to uh, it would be a conflict between their support of Obama. You know, you can you have ministers, you have pastors, reverends, deacons. You know, evangelists who will support someone who 100% contradicts their, their the foundation of their spiritual beliefs, but they will still support him and that, his whole thing because it's it, it allows them to 
continue this this fantasy of uh, of acceptance into, as you said, into the the white man's uh, home. It's that slave mentality yeah, in many true. cases. And now Very you true. you open, yeah. So you open the door to religion. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this. Now I've I've followed you a little bit and heard some things uh, that you've said uh, regarding religion. Some people have not and are unfamiliar with your views. If you don't mind. You know, could you clarify or, or it let some people know, my audience know, you know, what, are you religious? Are, you know, what, if so, what religion are you? I'm sorry, my phone just broke up a little bit there, my brother. Give me that again. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying as far as religion goes, some people are not really familiar with your spiritual beliefs. Could you enlighten my audience on, you know, are you a religious man? Do you practice or conform to any particular uh, religion? Well, let me first say, uh, within the philosophy of Pan-Africanism, we believe in freedom, freedom of religion. So if a person wants to be Christian, I have no problem with it. If they want to be a Hebrew, I have no problem with it. If they want to be a Moor, I have no problem with it. Malcolm X was a Muslim. Mr. Garvey was a Christian. We believe in freedom of religion. It is your political beliefs that matter to us. Do you identify with African race first? Are you interested in Pan-African redemption? Or are you trying to help us struggle and change the reality for black people? That's what I'm concerned with, your political ideology, not your religious one. Your religion only becomes a problem if it becomes a barrier to your ability to unite and organize with us. Beyond that, I could care less what your religion is, and I will respect it. So I don't have an issue with people's religion, nor am I trying to change anybody's religion. I was raised Muslim on my father's side, Christian on my mother's side. Okay, and so it doesn't matter to me what you believe. Um, now, for me personally, spiritually, I study the Yoruba system of Ifa, uh, the African spiritual system practiced by the Yoruba of uh, southwestern Nigeria. That's what I personally partake in. That is the most fulfilling spiritual system for me, but I think it is goodness of fit. Some people, being Muslim is perfect for them. Some people, being Christian is perfect. Some people the Kemetic system, others the Dogon system, others the Akan system. You know, there's so many different spiritual systems and there's so many different religions. And as far as I'm concerned, whatever floats your boat is fine with me. I like Ifa. It works for me. I love that system. I embrace it. And that's the one that I will probably die practicing. Cool, man. And I'll be honest, I appreciate you clarifying that. Um, you know, and people that haters will talk and different things. I mean, I'm I'm the same way. I mean, I don't judge anyone. You believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. People, you know, people do what they do. Just and that's what my whole thing is: embrace what you do. Don't flip flop. Don't conform. You know, don't be you know one way one. You know, Obama. One minute he's a Christian, next minute he's supporting you know homosexual. You know, it's just different stuff that's not consistent. And that's that's the that's the issue that I have is lack of consistency. Um, now, one of the things you're passionate about, or I, well, I'll say passionate, but is uh, you discuss the black church, and I wanted to get your take on black pastors in in particular. What areas, you know, I've heard you talk about tithing, uh, you know, the lack of community involvement in in many black churches. What's your, what, you know, could you elaborate on that a little bit for us tonight? What is, where do you feel so many black pastors in the church fall short? Well, firstly, it's not all pastors. There's exceptions to every rule. There are some pastors who do an excellent job trying to improve their community, but there's many more who do not. My issue with the pastors, again, is not with religion. It's with the large amount of money that's collected on Sunday 
that is not reinvested back into the black community. We give the black church nationally no less than $13 billion, um, I believe it is, every week. $13 billion every week. With that type of money, it is absolutely no excuse as to why we don't have our own institutional infrastructure. There's no excuse that we don't have our own banks. We don't have our own schools, supermarkets, gas stations, hospitals, airlines, distribution networks. It's no excuse for that whatsoever. So my problem with the black church economically, because it has nothing to do with religion, I'm dealing with it politically and economically. My problem with the black church is they take far too much money away from black people and give them very little in return. It makes no sense for us to be building a $10 million house of prayer when we don't even have a $1 million school. How can you build a $10 million house of prayer? We don't even have a $500,000 supermarket. How can you build a $10 million house of prayer? We don't even have a $2 million distribution network. So my issue with the black church is one of economic exploitation by way of religion. I'll be honest with you, man. Well, that was one of my the the points of contention that I had with you uh, historically is was your views on the black church. Myself as a Christian, but I, I appreciate you for clarifying that tonight, where you said that it's not all you know. In fact, and you gave credit to the the pastors and the churches who do give back and do contribute. Because I agree with you that there are absolutely a large number of establishments, you know, in the black community churches that don't do it damn thing for our people so uh but you know I, i'll just give a quick shout out to enon i don't know if you know about you know uh dr alan waller at, at enon Ted. yes yeah so you already know he you know he he gives back and so that's that's my interest and i would say that you know people like that are you know few and far between so i'm, I'm i appreciate oh you you're, for, you're uh, based for, in philly my brother it, oh yes sir yeah i go to enon oh i thought you was based in new york i don't know why i thought that it's no issue nah, man, i thought it was new york for some reason Okay, I didn't yeah, know that. So. Pop, yeah, man. Pop, yeah, I'm here pop. in Philly. Also wanted to do a yeah. quick shout-out to the Pittsburgh family. I'll be seeing y'all on Sunday at the Greater Pittsburgh Coliseum. Make sure y'all come on out day after tomorrow, Sunday, June the 5th. Dr. Umar Johnson live and direct, second time in Pittsburgh, first time since 2014. Doors open up at 2 o'clock. The program will start at 4 o'clock. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody up in Pittsburgh on Sunday. You can get your tickets at the door or you can get them online at princeofpanafricanism.eventbrite.com. Again, it's princeofpanafricanism.eventbrite.com. Everybody get those tickets. Let me just, uh, real quick, I just want to check in with you. How are you doing on time? Are you okay? Or, you know, I want to be respectful of your time. I'm okay. I'm okay. Cool, because I got, I'm just looking on social media right now. We got some questions. Some people want me to uh, ask you. Uh, there was a video that I recently reposted of you. You kind of got into it with a, a, a woman who, classified herself as a lesbian and y'all were kind of going it was a very interesting discussion what are your views on homosexuality and the origin of it the uh intellectual um, you know mental well my thing is this i love all black people all african men and women all my brothers and sisters i love everyone but i reserve the right to disagree with any type of behavior that i don't think is in the best interest of our community whenever i'm evaluating anything whether it's you, whether it's Obama, whether it's the church, whether it's the conscious community, I'm evaluating it from the perspective of is there a benefit 
how does this thing, how does this institution, how does this person, how does this program, how does this undertaking benefit African redemption? How? And so with homosexuality, I disagree with it because I don't see any benefit to teaching black boys that they have a right to love on a man the way you're supposed to love on a woman. I don't see any benefit to teaching black girls that you can love on a woman the way that you're supposed to love on a man. Where is the benefit? We already have a destroyed and destabilized black family. Why do we want to destroy it anymore? We already got enough black women who will never get married. Only one out of every four black women in America will ever get married, and most of them will not stay married. We already don't have enough sisters with husbands. Why do we want to turn so many more of our boys away from our sisters by putting them on other men? Look at AIDS. Males disproportionately, disproportionately, our AIDS rate is concentrated amongst our homosexual black men. How is that lifestyle healthy for us as a people when you have a disproportionate number of gay black men developing AIDS. Just last week, the Center for Disease Control announced that Atlanta, which happens to have the highest black gay population in the country, also has the highest black gay AIDS, highest black AIDS rate in the country. So how can we turn a blind eye to the health disparities and the health risk that this lifestyle has? I don't hate no homosexual black male. I don't say I even talk to them. I get emails from gay black men. When they ain't got nobody else to talk to, they'll call on me. I had a brother pull me to the side at a conference. He said, look, Doc, I know that you don't agree with what I do, but I need to talk to you because I ain't got nobody else to talk to, man. And we sat there and we talked. And he told me how he was molested. And he said, you're right, man. You know, so I don't hate our people, but the LBGT agenda, they need to paint me as a hater of gays and lesbians because only if they paint me as a hater People will never listen to why I disagree. They don't want people to hear that Dr. Umar Johnson, who's been a therapist for almost 20 years, says that based on his direct experience, not no damn research from Syracuse, not no damn research from white folks at UPenn, not no research at Harvard, but through his own direct interaction with his own people, he has found that most gay black men were sexually abused as children, that most gay black women were sexually abused as children, or either saw a mother who was violently and verbally abused, and that was to trigger for them developing an alternative sexual identity. They don't want you to hear that. There's one narrative that the government wants you to believe, one narrative, and that narrative is that all gay people are born gay, that all homosexuals are born homosexual, all lesbians are born homosexual. That's the narrative they want to go out. So my voice is a very dangerous one because it introduces another possibility to the discussion, and they don't want that. That's why I must be attacked as a racist. That's why I must be attacked as homophobic. That's why they do that. But I don't agree with it, but I do not despise the individual, although I disagree with the lifestyle. Yeah, man, I appreciate you clarifying. And I think that word homophobic just needs to be erased from, I mean, you know, you know being a therapist, phobia well, that's is an intimidation fear. term. Yeah, that's Absolutely. No one's afraid of homosexuals. We just don't agree with the lifestyle, you know, and, and the effect that it's having on our people as a whole. That doesn't make us afraid. It's not a phobia, you know. It's just, it's, you know, like you said. Whenever you I've know, been challenged, and I've, and I've been on gay black radio shows, I've been invited by homosexuals to discuss the topic, and we discuss it. And I say, hey, we're going to do this with respect. I ain't got a problem with it because I ain't afraid of you. 
just like the sister, I think that's the video you're referencing when I was in St. Louis, excuse me, Kansas City, Kansas, uh, two Black History Months ago, and the sister came in representing the Black Lives Matter movement, I think, and, you know, she challenged me on my position. I didn't disrespect her. I was very eloquent, and I said, here's the diagnostic manual. Show me the word homophobia. It's not in here. This is a word y'all made up to harass anybody who disagrees with you. And the only thing that I would say to the black LBGT community is if you want people to respect your humanity, you need to respect people's opinions. I have a right to not agree with what you do. But they are so narcissistic. Some of them can be so narcissistic in their demand that you accept the way they want to live their life that they will strip you of your human rights if you don't agree with theirs. I've had homosexuals tell me I don't have a right to live. I don't have a right to work. I don't have a right to raise kids. I don't have a right to be a school psychologist because I don't agree with the sodomy movement. What the hell does me not supporting a sodomy lifestyle have to do with me helping black? It ain't got shit to do with it. But they're so narcissistic and totalitarian in their movement that it is basically a get-down, lay-down, gangster mentality that they come to you with. You will either accept it, you will publicly say you're going to accept it, or we will destroy you, your life, your family, and everything that you stand for. That's why if you're me, a man. popular, if you're, if you're a black entertainer, you're not allowed to say that you don't agree with it. You haven't heard no famous black folks say, I don't, they can't. They have to. You say, never will. Because the gay mafia will get them exposed. Your job will be taken. You will be branded as a hater of gays, somebody who's against human rights just for having an opinion. Homosexuality is the first political issue in America, in history, in history, where you are not allowed to disagree with it. That's amazing. It's amazing. And I just ch- I recently challenged my audience. Uh, in fact, I do it on a regular basis. Name one quote-unquote celebrity who has publicly taken a stand against homosexuality. You can never. No one can. Never. You know? Look at Obama. Obama personally gave a phone call to the first black basketball player to say that he's going to go public about being gay. And he personally gave a phone call to the first black homosexual who said on, in, in football, in the NFL, who said he was gay. But Michael you didn't Sam. call Trayvon Martin mother. You didn't call Michael Brown mother. You didn't call Sandra Bland's mother. You didn't call Eric Garner's wife. So Obama feels it is important enough to call a gay person when they come out the closet, but it's not important enough to call a black mother when her son gets executed by one of, the, one of your police who operate under your Homeland Security laws. So clearly, being gay is more important than being black. And to be honest with you, that's where most of my energy as it relates to my position on homosexuality comes from. I hate the fact that black people have allowed gay rights to overtake black rights as the central civil and political issue in America. That's what bothers me. That's what I, I, you want to be gay, that's your business. I can't control you being gay. That's not what's bothering me. What's bothering me is that agenda has totally replaced our agenda to stay alive. We got black people being murdered every day by police, but guess what? That will never get the same amount of attention as a boy who says he he wants to be a girl 
and wants to go to the girls' bathroom. Poor health care for black people, police brutality, mass incarceration, miseducation, underemployment, that will never get more attention than a gay, a gay woman saying she wants to be a man and she's going to have sexual surgery and she should be able to change her gender on her birth certificate to read male. They make homosexuality more important than racism, and that's my problem with it. However, I do want to clarify that I don't go around living my life to talk about homosexuality. And this is where the black media has been a major deterrent to my work, the black media. It is niggas on the radio, niggas on Facebook and Instagram, niggas on TV, niggas in the newspaper who will exaggerate, exacerbate, repost, repeat, uh, do videos on Dr. Umar's position on homosexuality. Do you realize that 99% of my day is spent fighting black, fighting for black children? Do you realize 99% of my day is spent helping parents? Do you realize 99% of my day is spent evaluating and taking our kids out of special ed, classifying them as gifted, going into these prisons, trying to prevent homicide and suicide, and working on pan-African programs in the community uplift? I spend less than 1% of my time dealing with the homosexual agenda. But if you Google me on the Internet, you would think that's the only goddamn thing that I talk about because niggas in the media are motivated by whatever is going to get attention. And since homosexuality is a very sensationalized topic in America, whenever I make a five-second statement on homosexuality, that will get more press than keeping boys out of special ed. That will get more press than keeping our kids out of the foster care system. That will get more press than uh, getting our pregnant black women efficient quality prenatal care. How in the hell is a five-second statement on homosexuality going to be more important than everything else going on in the black community? It is if you ask the media. In the black media, as Marcus Garvey said, has been one of the worst institutions, one of the worst for our advancement, because all they do is chase the story that's going to get the attention. They don't care about quality. When's the last time you heard a black reporter really give us a good quality story? I'm not talking about who's going to win the NBA finals. I'm not talking about who did the first pick in the NBA draft. I'm not talking about... uh, uh, where Beyonce is going to do her next concert, who got shot at the gas station, who's going to jail for 10 years for selling crack, where Obama's going to be speaking next. I'm talking about real issues affecting black people. I haven't seen a good black media story in years. And hey, my man, thing to you got one right here. if you're not, and I appreciate you, but I want to say this to the, and there's others, it's not everybody, but if you're not going to do a balanced assessment of my work, don't bother me. I got a phone call yesterday from a homosexual reporter who wanted to do a story on my views on homosexuality. I don't even talk about it no more. And after the night, I'm probably never going to answer another gay question, not because I don't want to, not because I am afraid to, but because I'm tired of my positions on homosexuality being given more attention than the work that I'm doing to save black children. And because of that, I'll probably never talk about it again after the day. Hey Amen. Well, I appreciate you talking about it here tonight, and I'm not. And I, it's it's unfortunate. I agree with everything you just said, man. We're we're very much. And these but are I don't the, think the, you're the being reasons. excessive, and I don't have a problem with your question because 
you wasn't accepted. If you look at some of the interviews that I do, for example, I did an interview on uh, my, in Manhattan, New York, uh, that got a lot of press a couple about three weeks ago, and it got a lot of press because one niggas uh, took out. It was a two-hour interview. It was a two-hour interview, but they went and took the ten, fifteen-minute conversation about homosexuality out and made it its own clip. They did the same thing when I was on a Breakfast Club. Not the Breakfast Club producers, but niggas went to the homosexual question. Now, I was on a breakfast club for a whole hour. The Manhattan interview was two hours. You mean to tell me out of all of that, the best thing you could cut out and repost was what I had to say about homosexuality. So I saw that. That's crazy. As black people, even we as black people make homosexuality the most important issue in our community, not police brutality, not miseducation, not underemployment, not poor health care, not mass incarceration, but being gay is the most important thing in the black community. The black media is a parasitic organization, and we need to create a whole new black media because the people we got reporting now are sad. Why do you think you're listening to me and you're here on this platform as opposed to hearing me someplace else? Because we don't subscribe to that foolishness. I'm not about the ratings. I'm not about the BS. This is real radio that matters here, and I appreciate you and what you do, man, because we need – and I I saw that Breakfast Club, and if you Google – Dr. Umar Johnson on The Breakfast Club, the homosexuality clip is what comes up. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And that's, that's whole crazy. My hour got reduced to that. Two hours. Yeah. So I ain't going to be able to talk about it no more, bro. I don't mind discussing it because I think it needs to be, you know, hit on. Now, there's other people in the conscious community. That's all they talk about is homosexuality. All damn day. That's all they talk about. That is not me. I got other fish to fry. I don't wake up thinking about homosexuality. That is not my well, agenda. Okay. Listen, listen. I don't even. Yeah, I don't even, yeah, even want to talk about them no more, man. Let's let's talk about something that actually does matter, which is our relationships, black relationships, if you don't mind, man. Just you know, because a common theme in our community is, um, you know, you hear, and I don't even subscribe don't, to this because this is sensationalized. Just a why are so many black women single? But I want to get your take on what do you attribute to the large amount of African American successful women not being able to find love? Well, here's what you need to understand about black romance. And for all the sisters who are listening right now, two things. Number one, well, it might be one thing, but Dr. Umar Johnson is working for, excuse me, working on a single mother's conference, which will be a national tour, where I'm going to tour around and do an all-day conference for black women, uh, their health. And there will be other sisters who are joining me, uh, their health, uh, also, we're going to deal with economics and black women, you know, starting a business, being a single mom. I'm going to deal with the psychology. I'm going to deal with the miseducation. I'm going to deal with advocating for your child. We're going to end it all off with uh, the For Sisters Only Relationships and Dating Seminar that I'm going to do. So that's going to be my next big thing, the For Sisters Single Mothers uh, Tour. But you don't have to be a single mother. It will be open, it will be open to any black uh, woman in the community. Uh, but it will just be geared for the single mother but not limited to the single mother. But, yes, men, I don't think I'm going to allow men to come in. I think I'm going to keep it a ladies-only event. So I'm working on that. I'm also working on finishing up my sisters-only book, Relationships and Dating. I'm working on finishing that up. Here's what you need to understand. Too often when we talk about black male-female relationships, we separate that discussion. We separate that discussion from its context. Remember, you cannot separate behavior from context. We must never separate behavior from context. We have a problem relating to each other in the black community as a whole. We have a problem 
relating to each other in the black community as a whole. Why would black male-female relationships work when institutional relationships don't work, business relationships don't work, parent-child relationships don't work, sibling relationships don't work, co-worker relationships don't work? We don't get along with each other. So why would the family work if every other relationship in the black community does not work? So first put it in its context. We have an issue with each other generally. Now, three things I want to say about black romance. Number one, too many people are dating to escape personal problems that cannot be dismissed through dating. Too many miserable people are looking for companionship before they solve their own issues. Stop trying to use other people as a drug to cancel out your personal misery. Nobody can do the work that needs to be done on your life except you. That's number one. Number two, when we date, too often we are dating each other's social representation. We manufacture a dating personality based on business marketing principles where we market to the opposite sex everything we think they want to see. If a brother thinks a sister wants the door open, he'll open the door. If a brother thinks the sister wants him to, you know, treat her to fancy restaurants, he'll treat her to fancy restaurants. If the sister thinks the brother wanted to cook, she's going to cook. If the sister thinks the brother wants uh, her to embellish his ego, that's what she will do. Now, that might not be her personality. And guess what? Once they get married, once they move in together, once they get engaged, or once she gets pregnant, the whole situation changes. He stops holding the door open. He stops taking her to the nice restaurant. She stops cooking. She stops embellishing his ego. You know why? Because that was all a front. That was not skin deep. That wasn't a part of who they were. I'm just doing what I need to do based on what I think you want so I can get hooked. And once I hook your ass, I'm going to go back to being the angry, nasty, miserable person that you never knew, which is why I'm a big supporter of cohabitation before marriage. I don't think people should get married until they live under the same roof for at least three months, for at least three months, because the ego finds it difficult to project a false sense of self all day, every day. So when you live close now, are you advocating with the... somebody, hold on, let me finish my statement. When you live in close proximity with somebody, it is difficult to conceal who you really are. So I advocate cohabitation on a limited basis only so you can really get to know that person before you make that ultimate decision. I want to talk about sex for a second because, you know, now as far as living together, Steve Harvey, he's someone who's who I don't even want to get into, but he ha- he's made millions off of this this 90-day rule that says, hey, look, you know, if you wait 90 days and that's a, to have sex with a man, that's a good barometer for, you know, what kind of man he's going to be, how he'll treat you. In this cohabitation that you're proposing prior to marriage, where, how, do you, how would this sex play into that? Well, the cohabitation doesn't take place when you meet a person. The cohabitation takes place once you've come to an informed, non-emotional decision that this person is a serious contender to be my wife. This person is a serious contender to be my husband. Once you've come to that, then you say, okay, I think we should live in together before we go to the next step. That comes when you're ready for the next step. That's not a casual decision. I don't believe in just shacking up on the regular unless people believe in that. You see, some women, they don't want to get married, but they don't mind long-term cohabitation. 
if y'all both on the same page, I don't give a damn what y'all do. If y'all on the same page that we're going to live together and never officially get married, that's all right. If it works for you, it works for me. My thing is I don't want any dysfunction, and I don't want any children being raised in a dysfunctional atmosphere. But if it works for the two of them, that's all right. You understand? I don't think everybody necessarily has to get married, and I don't think everybody needs to necessarily marry the state. So cohabitation comes later in the relationship. That's not something that you do early. Sure. So when, and from as far as you're concerned, cause I'm sure you get asked this question a lot, how soon should a woman sleep with a man or vice versa? When, sh- when should that be okay. introduced? The 90-day the rule, generally speaking, is not a problem for me. I And I don't know Steve Harvey's rationale for that, and I disagree with a lot of what he did say in his book. I thought he reduced men to basically dogs that you can control with panties and cookies. But nonetheless... Sure. You know, because 90 days, listen, if a man is trying to get with you for 90 days and he cannot score, then his respect for you is going to go up tremendously because that shows that you have sexual self-control. Even with the man you want, you got sexual self-control, even with the man you want. But let me also clarify, I have friends of mine who have been married for years who had sex on the first date. I know people got down in the first week, and it never affected their relationship. Is it better to wait? It is always better to wait. But guess what? It's all about chemistry. What what black women need to understand is that if the chemistry is not there, you must wait. If the chemistry is there and you feeling him and you're like, you know what? This brother really respects black women, period. And I really respect black men, and we both feeling each other, and we about to do this, and he's going to still respect me tomorrow like he did today. Is it a risk involved? Yes, because you don't really know him like that. But it's all about the vibration. It's all about reading the person's chemistry. And so I would say that you're not necessarily wrong by having sex early, and you're not necessarily right by waiting. It's all about the chemistry between those two individuals. But if you cannot read chemistry, In terms of general hard and fast rules, the longer a woman waits, the better because she communicates sexual self-control every step of the way. But the worst thing a woman can have is less sexual self-control than the man she's interested in. That can affect his perception of her. Now, as far as let me just ask you one question about the ninety day rule. Now, see, I, I, I'm what I call an, an OG player. Back in the day, man, I used to do you know a lot of things. I'm not proud of sexually with these women. What about the guys like myself back in the day who did a very good job of pretending for ninety days, for sixty days, for you know, and had sex with a woman on the ninety first day, and then you know switched it up. You know, in that case, would, wouldn't that kind of eradicate and? and nullify the 90-day rule and the validity of it? Uh, Not necessarily. First of all, we got to realize there are no guarantees in romance. There's no guarantees. If a, I, Remember, I didn't say that she should have sex after 90. I said she should wait at least 90. She might need to go longer. You see, it all depends on her and what she's looking for out of that relationship. Not every woman wants to turn the man they sleep with into a husband. Some women are perfectly fine with casual sex. Some women are fine with a committed long-term relationship without marriage. It all depends on what you are looking for. 
But what I ask of men and what I ask of women from a relationship standpoint is the number one, be honest with the person even if they cannot handle it. Be honest with the person even if they cannot handle it. And be honest with yourself. Don't say you can have a casual sexual relationship if you know you're going to catch feelings and want to be married next week. Don't do it. Too many women play a game that they really know that they cannot play. If you know you're looking for marriage, why are you acting like you can just be casual? Because what some women will say, even if a man is honest, listen, I'm not looking for no relationship or nothing long term. Don't get involved with me if you're going to try to manipulate me into that because it ain't happening. But she thinks because the sex is so good, she thinks because of this and that, now that, you know, they got feelings for each other, she can change the rules of the contract. You cannot change the rules of the contract. Men are more intellectual than women when it comes to relationships. And when a man says that this ain't going nowhere, he means this ain't going nowhere. Stop trying to change him. That's one of the biggest mistakes that women make. And one of the biggest mistakes that men make is thinking that just because you are a good provider and a good sexual pleaser, that that will be enough for the woman. And it's not. It's not. One of the biggest mistakes that successful black men make is they feel that because they look good and they can take care of her and they can sex her down, that that's going to be enough. Women need attention. And if they don't get it from you, who they want it from, they will start entertaining it from other men. And whether it's a man or a woman, most people do not cheat for sex, cheat for a lack of attention and feeling devalued in their relationship. It always leads to sex, but it usually is not caused by sex. Oh, yeah. I've, I've said that verbatim, you know, over the year. I mean, you're 100% right, man. You know, emotions and attention and value, everything you just said is, is the re- are the real reasons why uh, that infidelity uh, takes place. One of the things I want to just pick your brain about is the, is the media. There's the, I've found that there's a huge discrepancy between what the media tells women black men are seeking in a wife and what black men black men are actually seeking in a wife. If I could ask you, you know, because the ladies are listening, right? My audience is about 90% women. What does Dr. Umar Johnson seek in a woman, possibly in a wife? Uh, for me personally, the most important thing is loyalty. If you cannot be loyal to me in totality, I have no use for you. And that becomes a big issue with sisters because women cannot keep their mouth shut a lot of uh, I've met women in my life just looking back through the years who I think would have made excellent wives, but they were not loyal to me. If I asked them not to discuss something, they would discuss it anyway. Many of them always had a girlfriend who they shared everything with. I am a public personality. I am a public personality. Your loose-ass lips is a political threat to my work. So with me, I need a woman who got self-control. She got to be emotionally under control. She got to have a lot of self-confidence because I live in the public eye. I'm an educator and a school psychologist. Most of my advocacy work is with who? Single black mothers raising children. And I've dated women who are very insecure in who they are. And even though they were great women, the relationship had to end because they could not be comfortable in their skin around other women. They could not come to a lecture and just respect that that is my stage and not theirs without having some sort of an issue. So loyalty, self-confidence, emotional discipline, verbal self-control. She also got to have a sense of humor. She got to be a good cook. And the most important thing of it all 
is I have to believe that she's going to be a great mother, and she must. She may not be a Garveyite. She may not be a revolutionary Pan-African nationalist, but she better be community-oriented. She better be for her people, and she better never go against me and what I stand for. Those are probably the seven or eight most important things for me in a woman. And her hair got to be natural, too. Ain't no way in the hell I'm marrying a woman who ain't happy to be nappy. And that is not only for me, but you got to realize, probably more than any other scholar, black scholar in the world, my audience is the most diverse. I have children who follow my work. I regularly get children who drag their parents to my lecture, girls and boys. I don't know how they learned me, but they learned me. And so it would be a contradiction for me who goes into classrooms and tell little black girls that you need to love and respect made you, but my wife got a blind wheeze. It's not going to work. So she got to be natural because with me or with any man who's trying to make a difference, you know, you got to understand that it ain't just about what he needs. It's about what the community needs as well because she becomes a public person just by being my queen. I don't want her all up in the public. I don't want that with my wife. I don't need a woman who's thirsty for public notoriety. And that's another issue I run in with black women. They thirsty for public notoriety. So they got to come to the lecture, be seen with you. They got to send little innuendos to other women. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, I have not chose you yet. We're dating. I'm getting to know you. I have not made you wifey. Why are you flaunting your ass all around my lecture as if you are my queen? You don't make yourself my queen. I make you my queen. And by virtue of the fact that I know that you're thirsty for public validation and thirsty to be seen with me in public before I've made you my queen, you're automatically dismissed. Because the last thing I need is a socially thirsty woman next to me. My stage is my stage. It is not your stage. Sit your ass down, enjoy the lecture, and we will talk later. But if you one of those women who got to be all up over the place, let me do what I can to let other women know we're talking, I will drop your ass like a bad habit. This is my work, and you do not affect my work with your personal insecurities. Now, it's, and it's, you took my uh, you, you just I mean you took my question the words right out of my mouth. That was my next question on the weeds. I we we're alike in that way. I you know my wife is natural. I've encourage black women every day to embrace their uh their just themselves and not try to conform to society's standard for uh, uh standard of beauty and so i appreciate you uh you know giving that insight cuz that's not always you know the narrative that media black media especially paints of you and, and and allows that to you know that topic to be focused on like you said it's the they don't want a nice calm balance uh, assessment or investigation of who I am or what I stand for because it is trouble and com- and fuckery that sells. So they got to create an issue. That's why they'll drag out the gay thing. They'll misrepresent my words. They'll take a clip out of a lecture and take it out of context and make it look like I said something I did because they're not after the truth. They're not after the truth. And if you're not after the truth, you're not trying to help black folks. Most well, of them well, are attention. Attention sure, is the you know, and Speaking of the truth, man, you know, and I'm going to put this out there. You can respond to it however you want to. It's out there. You've discussed it in the past. But for my audience, they want me to ask you about 
the conscious stripper. And I'll let you. I will not discuss it. That's over a year old. Um, anything they want to know about that, I've already covered in previous interviews. It has been dragged all around the conscious community by jealous, envious men and women who thought that that was the straw that would destroy my work. Um, so I have no comment on that. It's old and it's done. Cool, cool. Hey, man, I respect that. It is what it is. I appreciate you for at least addressing that. Um, one last thing I will, um, in fact, if you if you don't mind, would you, you mind if we go to the phone lines? Because I, I appreciate the listeners for waiting sure. and being patient. Let's go ahead to the phone lines because I want to be respectful of their time as well. Got a couple calls here. I see one here from, uh, looks like the Pittsburgh area. I'll go to the 412 area code. Welcome to Keeping It Real Fridays on the Day Don Talbert Show. You're on with Dr. Umar Johnson. Four one four one two three seven seven. Are you there? Four one two. Last. All right. Let's go back to. Let's see another call here from the. Maybe they want to just listen in two hundred one area code. Are you there? You're on with Doctor Umar Johnson. Good evening, brothers. Good evening. Yes. Good evening. What uh? What question or comment do you have for Doctor Johnson? I appreciate Dr. Johnson's work. Um, I I have actually listened to him live. He's been to my city several times to do a scholarship brunch. And um, I've also sat back in the community and people try to castrate him, and I couldn't understand it. I didn't realize at that point that the black media was allowing it to happen. I thought that the establishment was really trying to undermine him and use his own people to do it. Um, and I'm going as far back as the Portland in- incident and, you know, the stripper incident really, really, like, struck a chord in me. And, I'm, you know, I, I felt like, you know, it could have been handled quite differently from the sister's part. I didn't want to cast any judgment because, you know, it wasn't my business or affairs. But I knew when the attack started that they pretty much was trying to undermine him and getting his school established because we have a critical need for it in our community. And sure. I just want did you have a, I, I just want to encourage. Did you have another question? No, I don't have a question. I have a statement. I just want to encourage him to keep up the good work because we need these schools. We need the schools. Sure. I appreciate the call. Uh, where are you calling in from? Let everybody know where you're calling in from. What city? New Jersey. Um, I really don't want to say the town because just like after, just like how they come after Umar, they come after me, and I don't feel like fighting, you know, these headless horsemen anymore. You know, sure, but sure. He's been in my city many times. He knows the scholarship brunch in the zero seven five one. No doubt, no doubt. Shout and I see the I see the thirsty people too take advantage. Doctor Umar, keep your head up. Thank you, beautiful. I appreciate because that. Sure, sure. Thank you, sister. And, and, and I also want to say before you go to that next caller, and again, thank you, sister. I want to say thank you to all the people out there who send me the random texts to keep going and don't quit and keep your hand up, keep your head up. I want to say thank you to all the people who send me testimonials reminding me of how I've helped them because y'all really don't know what I go through because I like to stay strong in the public eye, but, you know, I'm still a person, and I got a personal life, and I have family that I love and care about, and it's been a real trying time for me the last couple weeks, you know, and 
sometimes I'll be ready to just give up. I'm not going to lie. I can't because I know this is my mission, but it gets heavy sometimes. And every time I feel like I'm about to quit, every time, it's like the ancestors will send somebody or supreme consciousness will send somebody to send me a message, and I'll read this email, and it'll be so profound as it relates to how this person felt I helped them. You know, and it'll be like, wow, I cannot stop. And it, and they always come at the right moment. So I don't get a chance to respond to them, but I just want everybody to know I do read the text. I read the emails. I read the Instagram inboxes, the Facebook. I read it all, and I just want to say thank you to all those people who support me. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Um, great, great question from the sis. Great comment. Great encouragement. I appreciate the call from the uh, New Jersey area. Let's keep it moving. Let's go to uh, take a call from the 404 area code. Welcome to the Data on Tober Show. 404-610, are you there? All right, we'll come back to the 404 area code. We're taking calls tonight, guys, 646-200-0366. Hit the number one on your keypad if you have a question, a comment for Dr. Umar Johnson. And um, yeah, real quick, while I have you here, this is, and we'll take some more calls before we get out of here, but I, I don't want the interview to go by without us, you know, at least addressing the political climate. You know, we're seeing a lot of uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, that whole narrative. Uh, for black Brody, people, it's a distraction. For black people, yeah. it's a distraction. It doesn't matter who wins. White supremacy wins. What we should be doing is we should be reflecting on Obama eight years, and we should be looking at our mistakes that we made by not holding him accountable. We should also look at the current climate of hate against us in America, and we should be plotting a political economic plan to save ourselves. The presidential election is irrelevant for black people because the agenda for us will be the same no matter who wins. We really need to be looking within. What are we going to do from within? Bernie ain't going to save you. Trump ain't going to save you. Hillary ain't going to save you. What do we need to do from within? That's the mistake. We're still not concerned about what we need to be doing. We keep, and see, slavery gave us an external locus of control. Slavery gave us an external locus of control. We always think something outside of us got to save us. See, we need reparations from the white man before we can fix our problems. We need the white man to change his attitude. We need a new president. We need Jesus to come back. We need everybody to be Muslim. We always need something outside of us to say that's that external locus of control that slavery put in us, making us believe that we don't have the ability within us to transform our reality. Mm. Let's ask you. Let me ask you this. Uh, a question just came through on uh, through social media. The ladies want to know, man, are you are you single? Are you dating? Or and, and if so, how do you balance uh, being a father as well as uh, you know with your career and and uh, in dating? Well, my personal life, I try to keep it personal. I don't speak on it too much because when I was very transparent with my personal life, people tried to invade it and destroy me and expose me and. Uh, misrepresent me so I can't be transparent as much as I would like to be right now because there's I'm sure there's haters listening to this show for anything that I say that they can run with uh, people are that motivated to destroy me for whatever reason but nonetheless I would just say yes I am dating okay yes I have two beautiful daughters and when I find my wife I will marry her so um, that's all I can say to that I guess you know I'm not 
what I want to say, hungry or thirsty for marriage right now because I realize that with my agenda for our people, it leaves little time for, for a woman. And quite honestly, I'm not in a rush to make a woman's life a living hell by not being there for her. A woman needs time, and she got a right to time. But guess what? I am on my grind. I'm trying to build a school. I got my repatriation project. I got my college tour coming up uh, June 30th to July 14th, my Africa tour July 24th to uh, August the 9th. You know, I got a lot that I'm trying to do right now. I'm on my grind, so I can't slow down. I, you know, I can't be there for a woman like that right now. So, you know, I don't want to put that burden on the on the sisters, you know, like that, you know. But, you know, I have a friend, and I'm checking her out, and, you know, I'm just taking everything slow, and we'll see what happens. Um, but I'm not in a rush for it because I don't have the time. My biggest issue right now is I don't have the time, and I don't feel like hearing the complaints that I'm not spending enough time because I know I can't. So why even put a woman in that position? I don't want, I ain't seen you when I'm going to see you. I'm on my grind. And a lot of times women say they can handle that type of lifestyle. Most of them can't. So I don't want to, I love black women. I don't want to disappoint nobody. So I just got to stay focused on what I'm doing. And hopefully the most high or the ancestors will bless me with what I need. All right, this is what I'm going to do, man. You've been on with us for about two hours. I appreciate you. We're going to get ready to wrap it up. I'm going to take two more calls, and we're going to let you go. Uh, but this, this has been a phenomenal interview. Uh, let's go back to the 404 area code 610. I believe they're there. 404, are you, uh, are you, you're on with Dr. Umar Johnson. Hello? Hello? Yes, hello. Yeah. Hello, welcome. Hi, Daydon. Uh, hello, hello. What uh, question or comment do you have for Dr. Umar? Well, I want to say hello to Dr. Umar. I don't know if you recognize my voice, but this is Sister Chanel, your ATL family. How you doing? Hey, Chanel. How's it going, Queen? <laughs> good, good. Thanks for asking. So my question was, you know, with the with the media today and a lot of the TV shows, there's a lot of African Americans right now who are really what they call slavery fatigued. You know, they're tired of seeing slave movies, slave TV shows. You know, our history is really only being told from the slavery part but not from anything other than that. So I wanted to ask you, have you seen the new show Underground? If so, what do you think about it? And if you haven't seen it, what do you think about the remake of Roots, and are they being accurate? Uh, With Underground, I think I saw an episode. I really need to see it again and get a thorough assessment. I guess when the season ends, I'll probably buy the season and watch it out. That's what I normally do with the miniseries. I did happen to catch an episode of Roots by accident in my hotel room here in Savannah, Georgia, uh, night before last, and um, again, I got to see a few more episodes, but on the surface of the roots, it seemed to lack the quality of the original roots. Uh, the actors were great, so I'm not taking anything away from my brothers and sisters in it. It just didn't give me the same feel. It didn't give me the same feel. Um, I could tell they also mixed up the storyline a little bit, so I don't know how historically accurate the Roots remake is because they changed some of the storyline, I guess, to keep it interesting so it wouldn't be the same. So I guess the film producers would need to answer that question on, you know, why did y'all 
switch up the storyline and how much of its authenticity did you barter away by doing that? However, going back to Alex Haley, just for the sake of clarity, because I, you know, honor him and his work, you know, he was sued by some white uh, scriptwriters, screenwriters, for allegedly stealing pieces of their script and putting it into roots. And from what I understand, they won their case against Alex Haley uh, copyright violations of their material. So that is to say that even with the original roots, a lot of it is not authentically the story of Alex Haley's family. Mm. Thank you, sister, for the question and the call from the Atlanta area. I hope area. to see you we appreciate- soon, too, Chanel. I'll be... I don't know if y'all can make it, but I'll be in LaGrange, Georgia, next Sunday, uh, June the 12th. I'll be speaking at the LaGrange Community Awards. So for my Atlanta family, um, if you need to fly for the LaGrange event, feel free to text myself, 215-989-9858. But I might have some time to slide on over and see you and the family as well. So uh, shoot me a text like on the 10th, and I'm going to see what my schedule looks like for LaGrange. I might be able to see you guys either on my way down to LaGrange or back to Atlanta from LaGrange. But I thank all three of y'all. appreciate the love that you guys have always given me. Um, in Pittsburgh, if you need to fly for Pittsburgh for Sunday, anybody could text me for that as well. Again, my number is 215-989-9858. If you need to fly for the Africa tour, it ain't too late to get on board. If you need to fly for the college tour, boys and girls, it ain't too late to get on board. Dallas, Texas, I will be there on Sunday, July the 17th. Newburgh, New York, I will be there on Saturday, June the 25th. Wilmington, Delaware, in the park, I will be there for the Stop the Violence event on Sunday, June of the 26th. Uh, what else do I got coming up? A couple graduation speeches coming up, uh, the Africa tour. Um you know, get with me on Facebook, Dr. Umar Ifatunde on Facebook, I-F-A-T-U-N-D-E, Dr. Umar Johnson on Twitter and Instagram, D-R-U-M-A-R Johnson. And don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, every Tuesday morning I host a free black parent teleconference. Anyone who wants to uh, ask me a question about their child education and mental health, please text me for the number for the Tuesday morning call. 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to donate to the Frederick Douglass and Marcus Garvey, RBG, International Leadership Academy. We will be building the school. It's not a question of if. It's only a question of where and when. Donations can be made online at GoFundMe.com forward slash Dr. Umar, GoFundMe.com forward slash Dr. Umar, or you can mail in your donation, payable to FDMG Academy. P.O. Box 6872, that's P.O. Box 6872, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19132. Send your resumes to work at the school, FDMG Resumes, FDMG Resumes at gmail.com. And if you're interested in starting a chapter of the National Independent Black Parent Association, the National Independent Black Parent Association, Please get in contact with me. I want to thank all the brothers and sisters who came from around the country and joined me in Baltimore last weekend for the first 
ever new chapter conference for the National Independent Black Parent Association. Thanks to all the brothers and the sisters. They came from all over the country. They sacrificed their Memorial Day weekend for the sake of our children. You are the founding mothers and founding fathers of the NIBPA, and no one will ever be as special to me as all of you are for sacrificing that weekend. So I just want to say thanks to everybody. You know, uh, feel free to email me. I answer my own emails. Dr. Umar Johnson at Yahoo. I repeat, I answer my own emails. D-R-U-M-A-R Johnson at Yahoo.com, and I answer my own text messages. 215-989-9858. Keep me in your prayers as I'm going through some tough times personally right now. Uh, Keep me in your prayers, and I will keep you in my prayers. And I just hope that you can understand that I do my best for our people every single day that I'm alive. Hey, Dr. Umar, man, I know your time is valuable, so I just want to personally thank you for taking time out of your schedule, your, your this this uh, pr- uh, promotion tour to be here tonight for as long as you have. The listeners are very much so appreciative, as am I. Uh, I will continue to put that information out there for you for your uh, uh, the Pittsburgh appearance and all the other appearances that you uh you know you threw out there, man. So uh, anything else you want to leave the people with before we let you go? Marcus Garvey quote: "Without confidence in yourself, you are twice defeated in the race of life. With confidence, you have won, even before you have started." Frederick Douglass quote: "It is much better to raise strong children." than to repair broken men. Support FDMG. Cool. Dr. Umar Johnson, again, we appreciate you for being here with us tonight. Everybody, we're going to get ready to wrap it up. I want to thank you all for the listeners. Thank you all for the calls. Thank you for the support. We will um, be back live um, not this weekend, but most likely early next week, and uh, with a brand new live Ask State on Advice Mondays. And um, again, if anyone is, is seeking out private relationship counseling, you know how to reach me, 855-55-DATE-ON, at com. And again, one more special shout-out to Dr. Umar Johnson for uh, taking time out of his busy schedule to uh, be with us this evening. So again, Guys, thank you for tuning in, and I will see you next time. Good night.
talented on told to motivate you, girl. But they don't be a motivation, child. But they don't overcome and rock your world. Mm. But they don't be a motivation, child. But they don't motivate you, girl. But they don't be a motivation, child. But they don't overcome and change your world. Don't ever let yourself settle for. Date on to overcome and change your world. 